Welcome everybody in the Off the Ball Network fandom <laughs> and beyond to the fifth episode of the Bunce and Bruises podcast. Don't worry, at some point we'll stop numbering what episode we're on and just you know keep, keep it going with the intro. But we're still new into this. We're still excited into this. Just it's almost like we've still we're this is our first episode for, for the first time doing this and we're that excitement no matter how deep we go into it's never going to go away i as always am one of your hosts on this show jurgen coney and by my side the don of the hot take one of the smartest minds i know in baseball and a potential game show host in the future with some of the amazing work he did this past weekend for oh, stop it my guy james varcia james how are you doing uh just Doing amazing every week, Jerk. I'm not even going to say why. The fans know why. Uh, I'm going for that Jeopardy job, you know? I, I hit my people up after Saturday. My agent, I wish I had an agent. That'd be great. <laughs> but now, nah, man, I'm doing great. You know, uh, Saturday wrap-up was fun. You was on it. We had Kenneth. We had uh, Steven on it. That was a good time, man. And a uh, shout-out to Mo uh, on the new baby boy. Other than that, I'm excited, man. I'm ready. Let's get right into it. Absolutely. Off the ball network growing in every single way, both in terms of the network and everyone outside. And like you said, shout out to VP and Mo. Uh, ha- happy, healthy, new member to the family. And of course, a lot of the guys at the network have families. James, you and me are so young. It's like, it's amazing to see it happen in front of your eyes. And it just lets you know that one day that'll be us. But I'm still young, so I'm still going to enjoy that. But speaking of enjoying things, James, one thing that we have made it a note of throughout this season to make sure that we give enough credence, enough credit, and enough enjoyment to is the Major League Baseball season. And we are now officially one month in, so we made it to May. Congratulations to all of us. But, you know, it's never too early, James, to talk about the important stuff with Major League Baseball. That's right. We are going to dive into our guy, James Barcia, our MLB experts, early MVP and Cy Young favorites after the first month of the season. James, I will give you the floor. Like how all the guys do with my hockey stuff, I, I, I'm probably just going to agree with what you say here. But <laughs> give, give the fans an indication of, like, who is really standing out for, like, just a, another level of play this early on into the season. All right. Well, for starters, I just want to say this is the early season MVP and Cy Young Award favorite. So, clearly, anything can happen. This could change. And I could look like a complete fool. But we're going to have fun with it. Uh, extended spring training just finished. So, after watching the first month of baseball, we got you got an idea of how people are going to do this season. Some people are still slow, slow, uh, slow starters, such as Corey Cooper. My Yankee fans know exactly what I'm talking about. He had a magnificent game the other day. I believe he had 10 strikeouts in eight innings, looking like his old self. But to get it all started, you know what? Since I'm mentioning Corey Cooper, let's start with the Cy Young Awards. Uh, for my AL Cy Young Award, Yankee fans are going to love this. I have the one, the only... Garrett Cole himself. And six games started, he has got them four Ws. He has 62 strikeouts in 37 innings. So that's just an insane number in itself. Just to give you guys an idea of that number, he has a 15 strikeout ratio for every nine innings. That in itself is insane. That means like almost five out of nine innings, he's striking out the entire side. Mind-blowing. If you think about it, half the game he's shutting down a complete offense. And to make the stat even crazier, he only has three walks, two those, 62 strikeouts. That's just showing the kind of control this man has. The next person I got is Shane Beaver, who, when the season first started, honestly, he could have been the Cy Young Award winner. But he, in his six starts, has three wins, 
and 42 innings pitched. He has 68 strikeouts, but unfortunately, he does not have the command that Garrett Cole has been showing in this early season as he has 14 walks. But he lines up just about the same in that nine-inning strikeout ratio. He has a 14 and a half, so a couple pitches here and there, but still, that's dominating, completely owning one side of the ball. And when it's like that in baseball, (laughs) unfortunately, the Mets don't know how to do it, but that's essentially an easy game to win when your pitcher is just simply dominating like that. And last but not least is I actually have what I would consider a sleeper. Some people remember this guy because he actually had a Cy Young worthy year a couple of years ago. Wait, oops, more than a couple of years ago, but still. <laughs> and that is the one, the only man coming from Kansas City, and that's Danny Duffy. In five games started, he has four W's for the Royals. In 30 innings pitch, he only has 34 Ks to nine walks. Yes, is not as wowing as the other two, but those other two are phenomenal. We're talking about two previous Cy Young Award winners. Danny Duffy, his name is hardly up there. Once again, I could look like a fool when this is all said and done, but he is one of the hottest starters in the MLB at the moment. He actually is second in the league for earned run average, only the Jacob DeGrom is ahead of him. Dan Duffy has a 0.60 ERA. So with that alone, it's just showing how dominant he is. Yes, he doesn't have the swing and miss stuff that the other guys do, but he's still shutting down the sides the way he needs to. And for my NL Cy Young Award winners, I have the one, the only, I'm not even going to say say it for me, Jerry. Come on. We already know, ladies and gentlemen. No, This can technically be our you know, watch of this guy for this week. But we know we know him. James loves him and probably has a shrine somewhere in his house for him. Jacob DeGrom. Honestly, I was thinking about going on Amazon, Jerg, and seeing how much I could buy for, like, a lock of his long hair when he had it. That's probably going for, like, 5000 So, you know, it's all right. Maybe I think, next it, may, time. I think it may have gone way more up. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like, hey, Arnold, that shrine that Helga had to him, I'm going to have just a Jacob DeGrom one in my closet. But to continue on, to show the dominance of this man in five games started, unfortunately, he only has the two wins because my Mets just can't seem to figure out how to help him out. But irregardless, he has 59 Ks in his 35 inning pitch with only four walks. Unlike any of the other Cy Young Award uh, leaders that I have on the AL side, Mr. Jacob DeGrom has one complete game and a complete shutout. I believe that was the eighth in his career. And that was actually when he set his strikeout record for a career high in the game. And that was with the 15 Ks that we talked about a couple weeks ago. This man is so dominant. He has a 15.2 strikeout ratio per nine innings. So he is even, he's about two strikeouts better than Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber was. And he has a 1.7 war. That's the win above average, uh, win above replacement that we were talking about last week. So he's worth two games alone. If we were winning him a couple games, that war would probably be at like four. But to continue on, if you guys read my preseason power ranking articles, you would have seen these two pitchers that I'm about to name. And that is for the Milwaukee Brewers, who are looking like a great team due to both of these studs. The first guy is the 26-year-old Phenom, and that's Corbin Burns, who in five games started, yes, he only has two wins, but he has 49 strikeouts in 29 innings. He has zero, I repeat, zero walks on the season just showing how dominant he is. And he is actually the only other pitcher aside from Jacob DeGrom, who has 15 strikeouts per nine innings ratio. So these two guys are completely dominating. And I just can't wait to see the type of pitcher Corbin Burns is going to be, because it might be too early. It's 
you saw the potential last year. This year is just shining and oozing out. This guy's looking like he might have a Hall of Fame career. Knock on wood, Jerk. Who knows? But the second pitcher is also on the same team, and that is a Brandon Woodruff. These are the two guys I named when mentioning the Brewers in my preseason power rankings. And these are the two guys I said the Brewers are going to need to depend on and hop on their backs to even make a wave. And that's exactly what's happening. Mr. Woodruff has 40, only 40 strikeouts to his 35-inning pitch. He has nine walks, but he does have the two wins, and he is the third most dominant pitcher in the NL. Now, on to the MVPs. We're just going to stick with the NL. And NL MVP number one, it was it's, it's too easy almost. And that is a Mr. Ronald Acuna. This is the superstar of the league. I this guy is just insane what he does. His he's just he has just to show how insane this is. I didn't even know this stat. He has 16 walks on the year and 16 strikeouts. Uh just to describe how crazy that is, most batters, if you have uh, one walk for every three strikeouts, that's looked as good. But this man is flat even on the amount of times he gets on base due to the pitcher or on the amount of times he strikes out. He has nine home runs, 20 RBIs, three stolen bases. The man does it all. He's batting over 300. That's it. Simple as that. And he probably is. This is probably the one thing out of all the things I'm naming is not going to change by the end of the season. Ronald Cunha is probably going to run away with the MVP award. Oh, wow. Mark my words. And if he doesn't, I'm hoping it's the second man who I already said, and that's Mr. Jacob DeGrom. I already said the pitching stats. I told you how dominant he is. The only thing holding him back from MVP is the Mets' run support. But you don't need run support when, in the end, though, pitchers bat for themselves. This pitcher is batting a 4-6-2 with two RBIs. He scored two runs of his own to win himself a game in his 13 at-bats, and he has an almost 500 on-base percentage. So half the time he's up there, he's getting on-base. That's almost unheard of for a pitcher. Some people forget Jacob DeGrom actually was a shortstop uh, in college. And third, I have Fernando Tatis. His stats aren't anything wild, but the main reason I have him is because of Fernando Tatis, they were able to take three games from the Dodgers, which has them right there up in the standings. If it wasn't for that series, they might be a lot lower. And yes, it's only the first month of the season, but you never want to get in that dip because it's a lot harder to dig yourself out than it is to get into it. And last, for my AL MVP, this one, once again, was too easy. This man's number one almost all the time. He probably is going to win the award, and that's a Mr. Mike Trout. He has video game numbers and above 400 batting average, seven home runs on the year. He gets on the base more than 500. So half the time he's up on the plate, he's ending up on base. And he has a war of plus two. Uh, Mr. J.D. Martinez is my number two candidate for AL MVP. He has video game numbers as well. He actually is leading the league in home runs with nine. He has 26 RBIs, and he is the main reason that uh, the Boston Red Sox are not even the team that anyone thought they were. Because even myself, I they made me bite my words. I had them ranked like 21st in my power rankings. But they're up there. They are shining, and they're showing everyone that they are still the real deal. And last but not least, I have the modern-day Babe Ruth, and that's a Mr. Shohei Otani. <laughs> Mr. Showtime, he's just – his batting average is 263. Yes, that doesn't wow you, but when you can hit eight home runs for 20 RBIs, steal six bases, and your pitching is just – you're winning games. He's won them games. You're playing both sides. That's just – you have to always be an MVP consideration. And that, folks, is my early season candidates for MVP in Cy Young. 
quite the list, quite the list. Like I said at the very start, I'm not really going to have a lot of disagreement with that one. Uh, I, I think the interesting part, and this is why, James, you're, I will always say you are one of the best in terms of bringing up baseball is because you're bringing up guys that I haven't heard enough people give credit to this season in J.D. Martinez and what he's done for Boston and in Duffy and what he uh, in the season he's had so far and calling back to the really, really good season he had uh, years back. Like that, that, that's one of the reasons why your analysis is so good. And, see, and you said it all for the people you have, you know, your superstars in both those award lists that uh, right now with DeGrom, a budding superstar and uh, Bieber for Cleveland uh, in the MVP conversation. It's Acuna. It's um, it's Trout on the AL side of things. Absolutely phenomenal. So I'm not really going to have a lot of disagreement uh, in your list. If they're just really fast before we move on, if there's one player in either league that you think could rock it up into the top three in the future, potentially, who do you think it could be? Uh, for the AL, that's Byron Buxton. Honestly, he was a fringe player for me. It was between him or Otani. He's been a one. He's a one of those late hype prospects. He's been hyped up as he has uh, the potential to be one of the best players in the league for the last five years. Unfortunately, injuries were always getting in the way, but this year it looks like he's going to stay healthy. He has the speed. He has the power. He's looking like the AL Ronald Acuna on that side. So if he could stay healthy, he's a guy that's going to shoot up a lot of MVP boards. Right. Right. So. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. Again, mentioning a team that a lot of people like we're kind of 50-50 on going into this because to your point, Buxton, you know, ha- has had a really hot start. He's extremely talented. I've been a fan of him for a long time, uh, mainly because I always thought he's a pretty good defensive outfielder. But this season, it's the offensive side of things that he's really mm-hmm. taken his game to the next level and finally showing off the potential that if you follow baseball closely, like you've known about Byron Buxton for years, and it's just been a waiting game of when is he going to take that big leap? So it's honestly good to see as like a general fan, you know, I, again, I don't have a team. James may change that by, you know, the next 20 plus weeks or so. But to see a guy like that perform at, at that level and reach his potential from what we're seeing, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so speaking of lists and, you know, things to watch, James, we just heard about your MVP and Cy Young favorites. Now let's move on real quick to my sport, the NHL. Uh, just a quick little NHL standings watch here. Uh, the first, I don't really want to call it a weekly thing because the playoffs are almost here. We had uh, our opening spots clinched last week, as I made note of, in terms of the West Division, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Minnesota Wild all clinched their playoff spots last week. And I said, ultimately, or excuse me, they clinched two weeks ago. And last week I said, expect the Central to clinch, expect Toronto to clinch, and potentially even the East Division if things end up breaking right for those teams. And once you know, James... I kind of called it. Now, I'm not I'm not going to take any credit for it. This wasn't anything special. I just looked at the standings and felt like, all right, th- this is going to happen. So since last week's show, I think it was either that night or the night after, the Carolina Hurricanes clinched their playoff spot and punched their ticket to the playoffs. And then the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers uh, followed soon after. In the East Division, the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins both actually clinched their playoff spots. Uh, and days later, I think just this past weekend, and it, they did win some games. But I don't. I think it was also due to how some teams were shaping up. The New York Islanders clinched their playoff spot, so the Islanders punched their ticket for another year. The Eastern Conference finalists uh, from last season that lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're going to hope that they could get some momentum going into the playoffs for themselves uh, and try to get back that deep into the playoffs. And with Barry Trotz, I mean, you want to give him credit. They've already bounced back from some tough stretches this season, and they could just do it again, but obviously a lot to be seen there. And then the North Division, just uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have clinched for now. 
But I think within the coming days, especially essentially because the Edmonton Oilers are going to be having a good amount of games with the Vancouver Canucks this week. And I'm going to get to that right now. Uh, so really what we're looking at essentially is just the final clinchings throughout the divisions. The Central, the East, and the West all just need their fourth seats to be locked up. And then in the North Division, technically we need three more. But for the most part, we all believe Edmonton and Winnipeg are going to solidify their spots. And then it's just who's going to be that fourth team, the favorite being Montreal. So just quick standings analysis. Well, not analysis, breakdown for everyone. In the Central, it's between the Nashville Predators, the Dallas Stars, and the Blackhawks. The Predators have four games remaining, the other two teams five. And right now the Predators have 58 points compared to 55 from the Stars and 50 for Chicago. So Chicago, sadly, my team, hurts to say, no chance. So it would take an otherworldly miraculous thing to happen here. And it's just not happening. So the Blackhawks are likely out. It's going to be between the Preds and the Stars. The Stars trying to make that final late season push. Last year's Stanley Cup finalists could miss the playoffs. And it would suck for them. But obviously, uh, they're down right now. And the Nashville Predators, I got to give them some credit. I thought they were dead in the water this season. And I still kind of do for the future. But at the same time, you know, if they make the playoffs, who knows? Maybe, maybe they can make some noise against Carolina or whoever ends up being the first seed uh, in the Central. Over in the East Division... It's just about set and done for the most part. The Rangers trail the Boston Bruins by eight points in the standings. Boston only has, uh, Boston actually has six games left, excuse me. The Rangers only have four. So the best the Rangers can do if they go undefeated is, uh, to my knowledge, tying the Bruins. So the Boston just essentially needs one more win. Or I think even an overtime loss will get the job done. So kind of pressure for Boston, but at the same time, well in advantage. You look at their next uh, last six games. You got two against New Jersey, James's former team, funny enough. You have two against the Rangers themselves. So ultimately, the the team that's trying to catch them, they could essentially knock them out if they're unable to do so after Jersey. And then one against the Islanders and one against the Capitals. Both of those are actually key. The reason why I mentioned it is because if the Bruins go on a massive run here, they will actually beat the third seed in the East. And after falling down from first to, I think, even fifth at one point, uh, they're well into the fourth seed and have a legitimate shot at getting the third seed. And if they do, them versus Washington would be a absolutely bloodbath of a of a first round series. Again, I call the East Division the division of death before the season for a reason. This is literally the division of death because these last four teams, oh boy, it's you, you you could argue whoever gets out of that division should should have a real chance at winning the cup because they will have earned it with how good those teams are. Uh, we look at the North Division, like I noted, uh, the Edmonton Oilers have four games this week, count them, four against the Vancouver Canucks because of Vancouver's COVID situation from weeks back. Uh, they also have some games against Montreal, and then one last game events against Vancouver. Like I mentioned, James, uh, the way the NHL is trying to do this is that, depending on how the playoff races shake up, if Vancouver hasn't played all their games, but the four teams in the North have already clinched, they're they're not going to make up those games because it would be pointless. It'd be risking extra injuries to guys and no one deserves that. So we'll wait and see. The key thing is here is that the Calgary Flames are one of the teams that suffered a little bit because of uh, the amount of time Vancouver missed. Calgary's last four games as of now are against Vancouver. And if they're within striking distance, yep. And they're with, and if they are within striking distance of the fourth and final seed, those four games will likely be played in order to make sure it's, properly decided who the fourth seed uh, should go to, uh, depending on how far behind they are of Montreal. Right now, they're a good bit behind Montreal, but 
Montreal's been iffy this season, and they do have three games against Toronto left and two games against Edmonton. So it's not looking great on paper for the the Canadiens. Uh, and then finally in the West Division, like I said, the potential Stanley Cup champion may come out because in a regular year, the Golden Knights and Avs would be a Western Conference final matchup. Uh, but that'll be a divisional uh, second round of divisional playoffs at best. The Minnesota Wild are going to try their best, and I think they're a good team. They're not going to get easily eliminated, but ultimately I think it belongs to whoever they face. I think the other team should be the favorite for a reason. Don't get me wrong. Minnesota, you've, you've built up a bright future, and I'm happy for them, but I don't see it yet. Unless they go get really hot, I just don't see it happening yet. Uh, so the fourth and final spot, the Stanley Cup champions from a couple of years ago, the St. Louis Blues, currently hold a three-point edge against the Arizona Coyotes. Yes, I'm shocked that they are still in the playoff hunt at this point. Uh, they have, hold the three-point advantage, and this is the big thing, James. The Blues have three games in hand. So that means they're three points ahead, and they still need to play three more games than the Coyotes. So even if the Coyotes were to go undefeated, and let's say the Coyotes do, because their end of the season is actually not that ba- uh, not that strong. It's two games against the LA Kings, two games against the San Jose Sharks. Let's say the Coyotes go undefeated, best case scenario for them. They have 58 points, right? The Blues have 53. They have two games against the Ducks, two games against the Golden Knights, one against the Kings, and two against the Wild. Theoretically, in those final seven games, they would just need to collect six points, which you can do that via wins or overtime losses. So they could lose in overtime in every single one of those games, and they would just get in the playoffs even if Arizona wins all of their games. So the Blues have a little bit of the edge here, and I am going to give them the advantage, but I wouldn't. it's going to take a lot from them because those games against Vegas and Minnesota – they, they're going to have to play at the level they've been playing at recently. St. Louis actually returned into my uh, top 10 power rankings this past week. Uh, at I believe number seven is what I put them at because actually they defeated the Avalanche to start last week, and then they beat the Wild twice and then lost in overtime. So of a possible eight points, they picked up seven. So that's why I note the overtime loss because this St. Louis team has been racking up points when it matters. And this is a team of veterans. They just won the cup a few years back. They, they, they could be a little bit dangerous come playoff time. Uh, so that's why I'm giving them the edge over in the West Division. You know what's crazy to me, Jerg, is you mentioned that East Division is called the Division of Death. Why do I feel like that's in every sport, no matter what it is? You got the NL East here, which is just you got top-tier teams in the Mets, the Nationals, Braves. Even Miami isn't a walk in the park anymore. You got the Notice NFC one thing he East. left out there. <laughs> <laughs> You know why I left them out. Either way, <laughs> we got uh, you got the NFC East where you got literally it's not even a bunch of good teams. It's just a bunch of teams that beat each other up. And then you got your division of theft here in the NHL. It must be that East City side. We we got that grit over here on the East Coast. You know, I don't know what it is, but we just want to we want to hurt each other. Well, these rivalries, when you think about all the teams that are in these divisions, these rivalries last a very long time. They They've been gone. For a long time, you think in football, Washington, Philly, the Giants and the Cowboys have always been at each other's throats. Uh, and then here in that's why I think the NHL did a good job in this one season for how they aligned the everything in the U.S. Because obviously the Canadian teams were only going to face each other because of Canada. I, I've always said they've done a good job. I think while I would wish Vegas and Colorado were in separate divisions, the two of them going at each other a few times a year. Uh, yes, please. I'll take that anytime. Uh, and in the East, it's Boston and the Rangers. You have two original six. Uh, Boston and the Penguins. The Penguins and the Capitals, Crosby and Ovechkin, would be absolutely phenomenal to see one fi- potentially one final time in the playoffs. Please, hockey gods. 
Uh, and then over in the Central, Carolina, Tampa, and Florida going at each other's throats this entire season. It's just been so entertaining. While it's gotten a little slow to the end, I still need to give the NHL credit because I think overall for the job they had to do, I would say it was a success. And, and that's what you love to see, Jerry. You know, and speak, like I said, speaking of the East being each other up, and I mentioned the NFC East. I got, we got to bring it up. Just bring them in, Jerry. Just bring them yes, in. Yes, absolutely. No more time wasted. So, of course, as you all know, this past weekend was the NFL draft. And, you know, we had off the ball network. We have so many guys that can talk football. But this guy right here, the second me and James talked about this, we said we need to get our guy on. He, just a few weeks ago, was officially named the senior NFL analyst for off the ball network. This dude has been a fan of the sport his entire life. He has loved the sport his entire life. And with a decade plus in the sports media business, he's the perfect guy to have at Off the Ball Network. And honestly, he's just one of the most lovable guys out there. Like, I have never seen him frown, and I'm always happy whenever I'm on the show with him. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause to our first ever guest in Bunsen Bruises history, the man, the myth, the legend, Couch Coach. What's going, on? <laughs> What's going on, guys? <laughs> what up, coach? What up? What's going on, James? What's going on, Jerk? Hey, uh, your, your, right, check no. in the mail. your check is in the mail, Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Let man. me tell you, Jerk is the yeah. king of intros, coach. I don't know what <laughs> it is. He, yeah, right. he, he, he drinks something. He eats something. It just comes perfectly. He knows how to gas you up. He leaves you speechless. He makes <laughs> right. me fumble when he introduces me. I'm like, oh, how do I even follow that up? Hey, it's it's only well-deserved for some of the best people I've gotten a chance to work with. Yeah. And yeah. you both fall under that. And coach, yeah. like, like I said, the second me and James are talking about, like, all right, we've got to incorporate the draft. It's like there's only one guy. Like there's a lot of guys, but there's one yeah. guy that we got to make sure we get on to talk. So we're very happy to have you on. Uh, and so the draft happened this past weekend. You were on. Shout out to one of our guys at Off the Ball yes. Network. Uh, Cruz did a phenomenal job hosting yes. uh, our live draft show to the first round. You were on there for, I think, I, I wasn't on there the whole time. You were on there for a good amount, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was there from 9 p.m. until, so about three and a half hours or so. <laughs> right, right. And can, Hey, honestly, you you could have convinced me you were there for seven hours, considering how long the first round itself lasted, especially with the delay for the first pick. Exactly. <laughs> they just uh, wanted us to want it. They said, "Yeah, we're gonna start the draft at eight. Next thing you know, it's like eight forty-five. It's like, yo, we know they're going Lawrence. Come on. Exactly. Uh, right. Right. So obviously, like I said, we're gonna be talking draft here, reacting to it. But just real quick. What was your reaction to the draft overall, Coach? Because I think a lot of us agree, like, this is probably one of the most entertaining drafts we've seen in quite a while, just in terms of how active everything was. Yeah, I love the draft. And it's so funny because this year it it, it felt normal again. I think last year we yeah. loved it just for the simple fact we just wanted sports because everything was, you know, but just seeing crowds at, at, at an event and you're seeing, like, the fandom stuff that you would see on, on, on any given Sunday – you seen this during the draft, you know, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. I mean, it was just amazing. Like you said, it was very entertaining. Uh, the NFL, once again, they know how to throw a party. Absolutely, they did, and they definitely did a good job. And like you said, like going back to last season, the NFL offseason as a whole really <laughs> saved sports fans from what ended up being months without the professional leagues playing. Mm -hmm. And they came through, albeit so, so many circumstances really changed everything. Uh, but ultimately, they pulled through, and they pulled through once again. Uh, going back to normalcy is something that we've all wanted to see. 
And again, the NFL just kind of helped us out with that, showing that if yeah. done right. And as far as we know, like it's still early on from when it's happened, but as far as we know, very successful event. Everyone was safe. Everyone was healthy. And even guys taking upon themselves to be responsible. I believe it was Caleb Farley uh, who was given a positive COVID test. Yeah. And then he he didn't take the risk. He was like, okay, I'm just going to stay up. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be anywhere near dumb enough to risk it on like a certain baseball team celebrating a championship last year. <laughs> uh, he want, he stayed responsible with it at the end of the day. Like you just love to see it. So no, uh, no bones about it. In terms of our draft talk, we have a couple segments that we are going to hit on in terms of certain things. So let's start with, do we get gems or do we just find glass with some of these picks? So essentially we're going to each name a guy that we, that was taken in the draft first, uh, particularly we're going to focus on some early guys right now, but we do have, we will mention some later guys, especially myself. Cause there's one player I liked seeing drafted. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that, but coach, we're going to throw it over to you first. What was one gem within the first couple rounds of the draft that went to a team that you're just like, Oh, that, that team got a guy that they got a good one. Trey Lance. I think him going to San Francisco is perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny, and I love what Cal Shanahan and uh, and John Lynch did. They made that the most secretive thing ever. Everybody was like, you know, Mac Jones. The rumors were the smoke screens. Well, he doesn't like athletic quarterbacks, and but he got probably one of the most athletic quarterbacks in this league. And like I said, whoever would have went to San Francisco would have been great because of Cal Shanahan's offense. He's able to um, have a playbook that implements his quarterback strengths instead of their weaknesses. So I just love what he did. He's almost having, he has a better version of RG three. In my personal opinion, as far as, um, you know, he doesn't have the Olympic speed as Trey, um, as uh, RG three, but Trey Lance, um, he does his thing. I mean, he has, you know, athletic, good IQ, um, good pocket awareness. And I think that's what they need as far as going forward. Like if they're in another situation, like they were in Super Bowl two years ago, where a guy that could still make plays, and because that defense played tremendous um, in that Super Bowl to that point where they, you know, they held Kansas City for, for ten points for what fifty three and a half minutes, yeah. And then you just get a guy like a him, like a you know, like a Trey Lance that can move the chains with his arm and his and his legs. So I mean, I definitely like, I definitely love this one, this pick for San Francisco. Right. So and. Uh, on our show like we were me and James essentially after the last couple weeks of seeing things going into the draft we both fell in love with the idea that Trey Lance to San Fran just made sense and I think the point at least that I made coach was like Kyle Shanahan's always had these uh, regular drop back quarterbacks but after that Super Bowl he had to have thought like if I could just get a guy that could make a few more plays happen and that can have that strong arm because Trey Lance has a deceptively strong arm I think he could really sling it so I think that Super Bowl changed Kyle Shanahan's thought process. And I think ultimately that had to have played a role into, okay, we're going to make Trey Lance the guy here. So I, I, we're definitely on your side. We definitely think that was a gem of a pick, a great pick by San Fran. And like you said, like any quarterback that was going to go there was on a a, a, win, a a team ready to win for sure. So, you know, moving on from a guy like Lance, who was a guy that went again in the first couple of rounds, like, as I say, glass, I was going to say cubic zirconium, but James convinced <laughs> me to, to keep it short. But who was a guy that's like he he could he could be a talented player, but may not live up to the hype or, or the draft stock of where he was picked just because of whatever happens. You know, we talking we talking about an NFL draft recap, but the the slam dunk has got to be Mac Jones. I think the thing with him is, and it's not. I, I think he's going to be a good player. Like I think he, I can see him 
as a guy that could potentially throw for 4,000 yards in this league, you know, have double-digit uh, touchdowns and what have you. But that New England mystique, I don't I don't think you can recreate what Tom Brady did in that, in that 20 years that he was there. And he's and I, I feel so bad for him because he's going to be in those type of shoes where it's almost like it, it's weird. Like, he, it's almost like he's kind of like he fits that prototype. He comes from a winning school. He's come from a lineage of quarterbacks just like Tom Brady was at Michigan, um, you know, back in those days. And now he comes in and he has to fill those shoes. And it's like, this man is not going to win six Super Bowls in 20 years. He's going to be a solid guy. I think, you know, Josh McDaniels going to do a, do great with him. And this, and then you just look at just that division. I think they're still, they might finish third or fourth. I still like what it, what Miami's doing. And the Jets are definitely creeping into that third spot, um, potentially. And I think it's going to be Matt Jones. I just think it's just, this is more so just the expectation. I think he's going to be a solid player, but I don't think he's going to reach like the Brady type of heights. Right. And I think we all can look at it as like a- after uh, Chicago traded up for Justin Fields, ultimately it just felt like, okay, Mac Jones is going to New England. Because you looked at the rest of the teams, ain't none of them were going to go quarterback unless Philly absolutely lost their minds <laughs> and, and somehow traded up for him early. But obviously it didn't go that way. And ultimately that's what we saw. So James, what do you, what do you think of Mac Jones potentially being the glass guy? And then uh, over to you, who who's your gem of a pick early on and who's your, uh, who's your glass? I got a hundred percent agree with coach. I mean, realistically, the only reason Matt Jones is a first round pick is because for some reason, everyone assumes you take a quarterback in the first round, he's going to take you to a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, that's not a fact. Since 2010, there's only been one quarterback drafted in the first round that's been in the Super Bowl. And that's a Mr. Patrick Mahomes. We're talking about a once in a generation type talent. So if we're lucky in this draft, maybe two of these quarterbacks come out and they're good. It's just, you know, it's, Eight quarterbacks went in the first 70 picks. That's the most that's ha- uh, gone at, in the draft in the last 20 years. So it's just all this hype and all everyone trying to fit this quarterback into the rookie contract. But I 100% agree with Coach that he got big shoes to fill. And, yes, Cam Newton was that bridge quarterback. But with the COVID season, it just, you know, it doesn't seem like Cam Newton had to fill those shoes. Can't Everyone knew the deal when Cam Newton came in. It was a... Uh, High, low risk, high reward type of deal. With Mac Jones, it's kind of he's walking in, and you can't tell me these Patriots fans aren't expecting him to do something, especially with all the free agents they just uh, signed this offseason with the two tight ends and Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, and Nelson Aguilar coming off a career year. So I just said maybe he could do it, but I saw on the pro day, yes, we don't really determine these types of things off the pro day, but he doesn't really have the pinpoint accuracy you need in the NFL. And when you're on Alabama, I say it all the time, you're playing with nothing but first-round talent, which is NFL talent, against college players. In college, you could be a great college quarterback, but those couple inches will make you a terrible NFL quarterback, as we've seen time and time again with Johnny Manziel. You can even see Baker Mayfield a little bit, but his accuracy is getting better. So I 100% agree. I would have to say, yeah, that's a great glass pick. Uh, and In terms of my gem, I would have to say, Quitty pay to the Indianapolis yeah. Colts is the biggest gem in the first round. How he dropped that low, I don't know. I was shocked my Giants didn't take him at 20. Am I upset with Tony? No, but he just he walked into the perfect situation. He has Darius Leonard there. It's one of the best defenses. And people have been saying that Quitty Pay has all the athletic ability, but he's a little raw. 
a defense like the Indianapolis Colts is the perfect defense to help a rookie get settled in, like uh, Bradley Chubb playing across from Von Miller. It's just it makes everything easier for you, and it kind of slows the game down for you and brings you opportunities you normally wouldn't get, like if he was drafted to, say, the Jets. No offense, guys. But yes. <laughs> right. And then my glass pick, I would say. I mean, I, I can wait. What's your what you guys say on my uh gem pick, Jerk? Oh no, I definitely agree with it. I think Quiddy Pay, um, next to Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, uh, will be interesting. And not only that, think about this. Like he he's gonna get to pick the brain because the Colts are an organization that have guys stick around and like be there for young players. He's gonna get to talk to Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. Yeah, like that. That's amazing. Yeah. So he's definitely a guy that you know, great pick by any coach. Like if we uh, all three of us were part of both uh, the OTB and mock drafts we did. We were all shocked that both times Pay fell quite low in our mocks. And for him yeah. to go 21 to the Colts like that, that was a great pickup for him. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's just, you know, it's they're just they're a couple pieces. They didn't even really need the defense, to be honest. They could have gone offensive lineman or gone offensive weapon to help out Carson Wentz. But when if they were going to go for an offensive lineman, they could have gone there. So I would have gone there. So that's a different story. But they have the running back. They have some young talent at wide receiver. So why not make your strength an even better strength just in case this whole Carson Wentz thing doesn't work out? Right, right. And, and your glass pick is Mac Jones, too, or? No, no. I mean, it could be Mac Jones, but no, my actual glass pick I'm going to say is Najee Harris for the Steelers. Yes, this guy is talented. Yes, he's going to help your run game, but I say it time and time again, they're losing three of their starting five offensive linemen. Yes, their run game was terrible last year. Yes, James Conner isn't all that, but Big Ben ain't all that anymore either. So you need to buy the big guy as much time as possible, and when you lose your starting center, your starting left tackle, and your starting right guard, it's not looking pretty, so I don't get what the thought process here that let's get a running back to run with no blocking is going to do. I mean, look at my Giants. We got Saquon Barkley, and the guy does nothing, unfortunately. We're just wasting his talent. So hopefully Najee Harris sees something better than that. But to me, it didn't really make sense to pick. Right. And, Coach, I think I'll throw this one over to you. Like, what 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 do you think about that? I think we're all in agreement. Like, Najee Harris just on the surface is a great, talented player, but – when you looked at, and James was the one that pointed out to me with everything that Pittsburgh lost on the offensive line, like, like Najee Harris is going to be good, but it's going to be a struggle for him in the early goings because of the offensive linemen they lost. Yeah. And that's one thing too, Wade. I mean, that's what we always talk about the trenches. And, you know, you already got, like you saying, Big Ben, you know, he's, you know, with his age and his limited mobility at this point in his career, it doesn't bode well. I mean, it's gonna be one of those situations where yeah, he gonna he gonna get the bulk of the carries, but I don't know how you know as far as yeah, that, like you said, they should have addressed a couple other things at that point. You know, with that you know with that pick, like you said, they could have got you know got on the offensive line. Actually, they could have got well. That's right, he was already gone. But <laughs> but yeah, right. But yeah, it's a trip. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even if they went offensive line, yeah, it might have been a little bit of a reach, but like you got to see, you know, open or your down. eyes or, yeah, trade, or down. trade down. Exactly. Yeah. There was definitely multiple things they could have done, but Jerry, yeah. I, I need to hear your glass pick, sir. Uh, <laughs> James, I need to apologize. Kadarius Tony's my glass pick, man. It's, oh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. I, I wasn't a fan of the pick. I felt offensive or defensive line could have and should have been the way to go. You guys have picked 20. Why didn't you guys pick Quiddy Pay? Like him next to uh, Leonard Williams? 
like that that would have been a heck of a pick. No, like all due respect, like I'm not I'm not gonna sit here disrespect say anything about a guy's like skill or anything. I'm just not gonna do that. But me, I've never been a fan of one hit wonders at positions. I've I've just never been at that. Joe Burrow's probably the only guy that maybe changed my mind going into his draft. But he had the greatest season of any quarterback in college football history. Like that that's very much different compared to a guy like again. All due respect to Kadarius Tony. And I know there was a pretty good tight end there that took some uh, a bulk of the receptions away, <laughs> but didn't even reach a thousand yards in his final season. And again, his that was his biggest year, his best year. Now, if he had injuries and stuff beforehand, like I, I can forgive that injuries are a part of the game. But it, it just to me, like wide receiver wasn't the pick for me there for the Giants. I feel with the and this is my thing. You brought in Galladay. You have guys like Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton there. That's a fourth receiver now. Like, I understand depth is the way to go at the skill position group, but how much of an impact is Tony going to make? So the reason why I'm saying this is because I think in his rookie year, it'll be hard for him to live up to the 20th pick right away. So that's why I'm saying it. Could he be good? Absolutely. But will he be able to show it early on? That's my only concern because, like, Joe Judge, I I praise the job he did, but now you really need to rely on Daniel Jones to help feed all of these guys – uh, in terms of throwing the ball to him. Uh, and my gem of a pick, I'm going to actually go with a second-round guy here. Uh, I really like uh, Holland to Miami, Javon Holland, the, yeah, the Oregon safety. I think the versatility he has in the defensive backfield will be big. I think he could play safe at either safety spot. I've heard that you can even put him in, in uh, I think it was nickel, in a couple of di- uh, certain packages. He's just a very good defensive back. I think good instincts and all that, the perfect guy you want there. I think that was just a great pickup for Miami who – we saw they went offense with their first pick. They went defense with their second pick in the front four. And then they, they helped show up that defensive backfield a little bit in terms of Holland. I really like that pick uh, that they made. Guy that I'm kind of in between really fast. Um, I think he could be a gem, but I think a lot of people are going to treat him as glass early is Leverwood to the Raiders. And I think it just boils yeah. down to the fact he was just drafted yeah. way earlier than people expected. I think he's going to be a great pro personally. What do you think, coach? Um, yeah, and that's that was one of the ones, um, you know, one of my picks I allude to later on. He'll be solid, but the thing about it, and this is what the Raiders issue, I think we talked about this on the show Thursday, where you can you get you you can get your guy, but you got to understand there's a price for him, and you know, you the, the price can go the price is, is low, so you can trade down, get some draft capital down the line, add some more assets. And get the and, and, and get him like that would have been fine. Like, I mean, you literally could have dropped out the first round. You could have drafted him at dinner time on Friday. At this point, mm-hmm. and you got him. You know, at at that pick. And then what kills me is like you got you know because we questioned other teams that was trading down at that point. Dallas, the um, the Giants, and then also um, Minnesota, but they were they were methodical in their approach because they said, hey. The guy that we wanted wasn't wasn't there, so we're we're gonna just slot down, get some assets going forward, and then we're just gonna get whoever's there available at the spot that we traded back into. So, yeah, I think he's gonna be all right. It's just, uh, I mean, it's just like you could have got more value for that, right? Right. You know? And I think I think with first round picks, it's all a value game. And to your point, yeah. like the the difference between a first round pick contract and a second round pick contract is so steep where it's like they could have gotten him actually in the second round. I think like, yeah. I, I, again, I think Leverwood would be solid, but I think they could have taken him in the second round. So right. ultimately that I think we're, I think just about all of us are on the same page. I think we like him and he could be good, but just the Raiders, like they, they did the kind of move that like, I, I mentioned this 
uh, when it came to the Washington football team pick. Like, if you think he's your guy, you take him. But that's what teams like Seattle have done the last few years. Like, Oakland is nowhere near that. Like, Washington made the playoffs last year. That's why you could argue it for them. They have Ron Rivera. The Raiders, you, you can't you can't say anything. So I think that's the biggest confusion. And then what's so funny, Jerry? I don't know how you how you guys feel the same way. It's weird. I used to love Mike Mayock as far as his draft evaluations. I always thought he had a great knack for talent. But then it's almost like I know he does still to this day, but like the, the thought process behind the picks. And it's just like that's interesting though. I mean, I definitely I, I definitely love the NFL Network, but now it's like he does a lot. He's done. He's has done a lot of questionable things as a GM with the Raiders. But yeah, right, right. So, and you know, speaking of offensive linemen, you know, not going where we expected them to go, we're going to move on to their our next segment that we're going to go after, which is you know, I like the pick, but I'm just going to be real quick with it. Uh, Cincinnati, what are you doing? What like right? Like, look, I love <laughs> and you I love Jamar Chase. I love Jamar Chase. I'm a big LSU wide receiver guy. I think that's probably the position I've always praised the most in my lifetime as a football fan. I don't know why. It just I, it feels like it may be, especially in recent years. But and and I said this and I'll say it again. In the Bengals, because the Bengals got new uniforms, right? And they had all their guys come in, put them on, photo shoot. They look clean as hell, by the way. Look good. Yeah. But on Joe Burrow's one, one of the ones he took, you saw the scar on his knee. How do you not take the left side? How do you not take Panay Sewell? I know Jonah Williams could be good, and I understand that. And I know they took a guard, I forget, in the second or third round. Like, they eventually did address offensive line. Mm-hmm. But Panay Sewell, like, if he's even half the guy we expect him to be, we expect him to be the Joe Thomas of this draft class. Half of Joe Thomas is like a six-time pro bowler. You didn't want that? Exactly. So that That's ultimately what it is for me. Like, again, I love Jamar Chase, and I do think that, like, the connection between him and Burrow can be really good. And I think chemistry is a big deal in sports. But I think they really just missed on an opportunity there for Panay Sewell. I, I really do. And, I, again, I think he could be that generational tackle for this draft class. Yep, yep. Uh, coach, uh, I got you're. I can definitely tell you're on my side. Is there another team you want to go to or just a little bit more of the Bengals? Like, a little bit more on that one. I, I was a, I'll say the same thing because you guys – and then, then what don't help is seeing uh, Miles Garrett – and the trap, I'm like, this you have to face man twice. <laughs> who, who who you got on that team that's gonna cover him mm-hmm. at this point? You gotta face this man twice a year. And it's like the thing about and we and that's funny, we and then we've always talked about this. I think we we talked about this at nauseum the whole draft process between all three of us. You grab the Offensive tackle and Panay Sewell, like he, he, this he doesn't grow on trees. Like he, he's, this is a generational talent. You look at how Detroit in the war room when they picked them, you would have thought they got a franchise quarterback. You would have thought they got Trevor Lawrence, but no, they understood the ramifications of getting the guy Panay Sewell. He gonna block for somebody. I mean, and we know, you know, I don't know if it's gonna, I don't know. You know, I know in 2021 it might be Jerry Goff, but going forward, at least they have that. So if Jerry Goff doesn't work out, we can move on. And the wide receiver thing, I like the Jamar Chase pick, but like we all, we always talk about that receiving core too. I, we talked about um, you know um, T Higgins, who like I said, I think he's gonna be a guy. I think is is gonna be a at least a thousand yard receiver eventually in his league potentially. Yep. So. And wide receivers are a little bit more 
you know, you can get you know, you can get a dynamic wide receiver, yeah. but you can't get a Panesul. You it'll probably be the next decade when you get a guy of this of this caliber, honestly. Right, right. Or at least a couple of years, because I think and yeah. this is from what I've heard, and I think I got the two perfect guys to you know. Uh, agree with this point like we're, we're seeing more skilled wide receivers come out in these drafts to where it's like the second and third rounders are very good we're not seeing yeah. these high end offensive tackles at the collegiate level uh, of right. the caliber of a panay Sewell. like there are good guys for sure yeah. but not n- not always are we going to see a panay Sewell to the point where it's like i think right. we're hitting it on the money like it, it, it's easier to find a guy and speaking of lsu wide receivers like terrence marshall <laughs> jr was there early in the second round right mm-hmm so I, I don't know. Like again, I like Jamal Jamar Chase. I really do. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like just it, to to make sure you protect Burrow. And, and the funny part is, in like in Mach 1.0 for Off the Ball Network, um, I think we had Sewell go to the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, in that one. Yeah. And that was when they had the third pick. And you right. coach, we had this discussion uh, uh, months back. Like even if the Jets were going to keep Darnold, you could actually yep. have arguments to take Sewell second and then him and Beckton be the guys. Like that's yep. how talented this guy was. We were talking about him as the second and third overall pick. Pick. So right. that that's my thing. James, do you want to trash on the Bengals some more? <laughs> I mean, just to add on to what you said that uh, college is producing these wide receivers, you know, it's all the spread offenses. They, they're, they're geared toward helping wide receivers looking better, not even look better, actually playing better and actually being able to translate into the league. But these spread offenses, they actually hurt linemen because it's more, it's less zone. It's kind of just one-on-one. And once you do your job, that's it. So that's why when you see a guy like Penny Sewell, like you guys have been saying, or Rashawn Slater, you got to take the guy. You know, it's quarterback. And then after that line, linemen actually are the most successful in percentages i forget what it was i think it's 60 percent of the time if you draft a lineman in the first round he's making it to the second contract so why not take the guy and it's just and one more thing the cincinnati jerseys do not look good jerk quit it (laughs) they they look they look exactly the same they're orange with tiger stripes what changed they changed like one shade of orange i'll argue this i work i've worked in collegiate athletics for a while now there are specific color codes there is a difference there i'm just saying (laughs) there's definitely a difference there but no like to, to your point i think we're we're all in unison i think we could bring on the entire network and they would all be in unison like you gotta protect whatever your investment is and we got some financial guys you know at, at the network in terms of playing stocks and all that like wherever your investment is you go all in on that investment if it's right. producing joe burrow was producing well before his knee got strangled and his head nearly got decapitated on that team like mm-hmm. you, you got to help him out and again i know they went offensive line later on and no disrespect to who they picked but Panay Sewell. and so i'm gonna skip right. next to the next segment um my lock of the draft Panay Sewell. <laughs> like, 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 you, like you said, coach, it's it's going to be Jared Goff next season because of the contract. But they essentially like whoever the successor to the quarterback room for the Detroit Lions is going to be. And not necessarily the uh, the, the team I'd want to go to in terms of being the successor quarterback. But, you know, it's 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 still a high paying job, of course. And ultimately, like that guy's going to be protected for his entire career, whoever it ends up to be. And if Goff maybe looks good. Maybe he sees out that contract and he has like an elite left tackle protecting him, which he had uh, with the Rams with success. So ultimately, I think Panay Sewell is just the lock. I do have another guy, but I want to throw it to you guys first uh, before I say the second name. So who are your guys' locks from this draft? James, you first. You go ahead, coach. No, guess first. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
it's obvious. Trevor Lawrence, um, he's he Thank really you. he's gonna save the franchise. He's gonna put butts in seats and bodies in that pool. Um, it's just it's, it's it's a slam dunk. I mean, he's literally gonna save that franchise. This franchise was gonna go across the pond potentially or to a, a favorite US city near you, but he has he's definitely gonna galvanize that area and we're there won't be no blackout conditions in Jacksonville for the near future. So, you know, he's a lock. He, you know, he's, he's a franchise saver. James. Uh, my lock of the draft has got to be Kyle Pitts. I mean, everyone's talking about how talented yeah. this guy is. I'm not a believer, but Hey, hopefully he proves <laughs> me wrong. Uh, this guy's a freak of an animal. He's a freak of an animal enough. You're going to extend Matt Ryan just to draft a guy and give him another weapon. There's even talks of Julio Jones getting traded just because of how good this guy is, because Matt Ryan has all the tools and weapons in the world. You know, I'm over here pooping on Mac Jones, but Matt Ryan has had almost just as much first-round talent playing around him since he's been in the league, whether it's been his weapons and his offensive line. So why not add arguably the number one prospect in the entire draft? If he was a quarterback, he would probably have been drafted above uh, Trevor Lawrence. So that's my lock of the drafts, Kyle Pitts. Right, right. Absolutely. And like we've spoken about it and we've always heard it like he may be the best non-quarterback selected in this draft, which is, at you know, it, it's praise because of how much we value quarterbacks, but especially at the tight end position to be drafted that high. I was happy to see it because I see where the game is going and you need these mutants. And that's why I'm calling him an extraterrestrial. Kyle Pitts could be <laughs> could be one of these extraterrestrials we see at the tight end position. Like they may yeah. trade him. But just imagine if you're a defensive back, like coach is either going to tell you. It's like, okay, you either get Pitts or you get Jones. And it's like, uh, can I just stay in like zone and not have to be near those guys the entire time? (laughs) That's what I would prefer. Just saying. Uh, So, you know, real quick, because coach, you you brought it with quarterbacks. Is Trevor Lawrence your guy that you think will be the most successful quarterback in year one? No. Actually, call me crazy. Um, I think it's going to be Justin Fields. Yes. I think he's going to be the first one I think on a really, as far as be on Trevor Lawrence, I think he's going to start from, you know, start to finish. He's going to, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to, he's just going to have a lot. Of, he's going to actually lose his first regular season game since what, like the eighth grade. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, when wins and losses were counted. Um, I think he's going to be Justin Fields. I think it's going to be a situation with him where you might see a little bit of Andy Dalton. But I definitely think they're gonna unleash Justin Fields um, early. Um, he's he's got probably the better team around amongst all the quarterbacks at this point. Even though I don't, I don't, I think if Trey Lance plays, I don't think he's gonna play this year. I think you know, I think um, Garoppolo's gonna play for the bulk of the season. But I think Fields is gonna be there, and I really want to see what Matt Nagy does with a quarterback. You know, because he's supposed to be the semi quarterback whisperer, right? <laughs> you know, I know we we use that term loosely now these days, but he was a guy. You think about, you know, he was with Patrick Mahomes that first year, that rookie year, even though he only played what that seventeen. I mean, week seventeen or what have you. But I think this team has the talent, and you think about it, this team made the playoffs of a quarterback carousel. And Nick Foles and my nephew Mitch, Mitchell Joe Montana Trubisky, but <laughs> he was clutching it in the beginning. So we gotta we gotta give him a little a little heads up. He, he was clutching at the beginning of the season, but it went down. But um, yeah, I think they have the talent in place. I definitely think he's gonna probably start. I would say probably maybe within like the three four weeks of this season. And I think once Andy Dalton hand over those keys, he's never gonna get those keys back. Yeah, right. And 
Uh, I'm going to agree and just throw it over to James real quick. I actually do have Justin Fields because I think when you look at all these guys, uh, having a number one wide receiver, I I know it's debated by a lot of people at times, but I think a number one receiver helps. Like I really do think. And they have a bona fide stud in Allen Robinson. And like the rest of the skill position, there's actually some pretty good players there. I'll let James go into more detail, but I'm just saying with – if Allen Robinson is my number one target I'm throwing to, look at who every other rookie quarterback has. That's the number one guy for any of them. And ultimately, I think – and, you know, he's going to get rapport with that team. He's going to, you know, work with that team. Like you said, Coach, like we don't know what Matt Nagy is whispering to quarterbacks considering how the last few years have worked. But I think Justin feels like a guy who slipped from – he was the second-best quarterback for a long time, ultimately being the fourth quarterback taken in this draft. I think that gives us just a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and I think it could motivate him. So, James – you, I guess you'll complete our trifecta here. Justin Fields is your guy too? Yeah, I mean, I said it on the weekly wrap-up. It's just I don't see how Justin Fields can't be a number one guy. He arguably has the best weapons out of everybody uh, coming into the draft. And not only that, but the Bears, believe it or not, they they did the smart draft for once. You know, they traded yeah. up to get the quarterback they wanted. Very next round, they traded up again to get the uh, offensive tackle who – Honestly, uh, we I was on your show, Coach, and we did a uh, top five offensive linemen honorable mention. This guy would have been in my top five, but for, uh, due to lower back surgery, he dropped out. But he was right there, six seven, yeah. just because the talent's outrageous on him. And that's a Tevin Jenkins. And then they went again in the fifth round and drafted another tackle coming out of Missouri. So you know they they saw their weaknesses and they knew clearly. Andy Dalton, as much as the Bears social media wants to say it, he's not QB1. It's just it wasn't going to work out with him because all you did was go, all right, we're taking Nick Foles and throwing red hair on him. That's basically all they did. So thank God they smartened up, traded up, learned from their mistakes when they didn't draft Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson and went uh, Mr. Trubisky. But they traded up, got the quarterback. Next two rounds, they added into their second weakest spot, which was the offensive line. I just... I think as simple as he has the talent, he has the weapons, and hopefully he gets the right whisperings in his ear. And it w- it's none of those uh, Adam Gase quarterback whisperings, and he leads a great career. So, <laughs> uh, real quick, because uh, uh, we're coming up to the end here, and off the ball number Facebook is actually going to have a, a show in a little bit, so we're going to go a little rapid fire on these next on these last two. Yeah. Uh, deep draft sleeper, uh, personally for the brand Presley Harvin the third. Uh, to the Steelers in round seven. Great pick. Ray Guy winner from last season. And also ultimately, like, I think field position is a very underrated thing in terms of the special teams. I think a really good special teams, like the mark of if a team has really good special teams, it is that their their top guys, their first and second stringers are really good too. So I think that was a good pick for them. He was he bombed a couple of footballs last season. So Presley Harvin the third is a good pick. And well, I don't, I don't want to steal this guy, but I think Kansas City made a nice offensive line depth pick in Trey Smith at Tennessee. Yeah. He was a starter since his freshman season, made the All-SEC team a couple times. He's played multiple positions too, so a little bit of flexibility, but I think he's probably going to just ultimately stay at guard. I think that was a solid pick for uh, Kansas City. Coach, who's your like deep draft sleeper? Like, Look at me, I went punter. <laughs> I got two, and it pays for me as a, as a UNC football guy. I got a Duke guy, and uh, Chris Rump third. <laughs> I mean, the second part Chris Rump, the second. Um, he got drafted by the uh, LA Chargers. Um, his father is actually the defensive line coach for um, the Chicago Bears. Um, just another, you know, great pedigree. I mean, he could be the Melvin, um, Melvin Ingram's re- replacement potentially. 
Um, so that, and then also I had throwing a Carolina guy, uh, Daz Newsom goes to the Chicago Bears, and uh, he's he's no he has an ability for yak. So Chicago got a good um, value pick in the sixth round with uh, with my guy Daz Newsom. Yeah, two two good players right there, and like you said, they 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 could fill roles immediately. And like for late round picks, yeah. if you could say that they could fill some roles immediately, that's how you know you really hit it out the park. Uh, James, who are yeah. your deep draft sleepers in this one? Uh, I really just got one deep draft sleeper, and that's Jabril Cox coming out of uh, LSU, uh, linebacker. He's honestly, he was drafted round four. He could be a day one starter. He doesn't have that sacking potential like you would like from your outside linebackers, but this guy could cover the zone. He could cover man. He's great at run defense, and he has that championship pedigree coming out of those LSU teams, and I – I was on your show again, coach, and we talked yeah. about him. He was an honorable you mention know. guy, and this guy, he could have gone round two, and no one would have blinked an eye, you know? So, unfortunately, the Dallas Cowboys yeah. got a steal there, man. And not to tip off my, my grades, but I said that was their best pick, was getting Jabril Cox, mm-hmm, even, over, sure. even, even over uh, Michael Parsons. So, I'm, 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 I'm glad we talked about that, and I know we uh, – Going, go, you know, some cowboy hate is going to be on my neck, but I'm telling you, that's how I'm glad somebody got the same thought process as me. I definitely appreciate that. Well, this you is know, the same, same thing. This is the same zone when it comes to that, Coach, because I, I do not have a football team, so I really don't care less on which team you catch, you catch any, you know, bullet, straight bullets. And speaking of straight bullets right here, so our last segment, uh, what were you thinking with your NFL draft picks? I'm, I'm not going to save it for that. Green Bay Packers. I'm done with this organization. I'm not a football yeah. fan. But if I was a Packers fan, I would give up. I almost want to yeah. throw my book past me like that. I'm not, Again, I'm not a Packers fan, and they got me so mad. Like, yeah. yes, you, you needed help after Kevin King got burnt like, you know, my toast that I make in the morning by Scotty Miller in the NFC Championship game. But you haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round in 16 years. They actually – I think the third round pick that they made, that was the first time since what 2014 or 2015 that they even drafted a wide receiver in the first three rounds. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous what this organization does. Th- this can kind of translate into and what you guys have to say for it. But honestly, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'd be done with them too. He's harbored these issues. If we really want to talk about the worst pick, the worst pick is still Jordan Love in last year's draft for the Green Bay Packers. Because ultimately yeah, it had Rodgers win the MVP, and now it's going to have him leave that sorry organization. And honestly, like for Packers fans, I kind of feel for you, but I do not feel bad for that organization. I've always said this, managerial mismanagement, managerial malpractice, excuse me, managerial malpractice will cost you when you have great players. And the Packers are finally going to get to see what that like that that's like in terms of they got lucky when they lost far because of what he was doing. I don't know if they're going to get lucky with Rodgers, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't want to disrespect their guy that they picked in the first round because I think he's a solid corner at the end of the day, and they did need help there. But come on, man. Do do something for your quarterback for once, not against him. Yeah, and you think about it. You could you literally could have got Eric Stokes the next day. This is another yep. one where you're like oh, – and then, like, to me, I felt as though it's weird because it's almost like – I feel like it's deja vu. If we would have been were together last year – we would have said the same thing as far as this. You trade up last year to get Jordan Love. Why are you trade up this year to get a Bateman? Because Bateman was what? Because Bateman got drafted what by Baltimore what 25 ish. So it was, they was right in that same range. You could have traded up a few spots to get him, and or just or some type of wide receiver at that at that point. So it's just I it's just like you said, just get to a point where. 
you got to, I mean, my thing is, you guys went to the NFC Championship game. Like, do you guys understand, like, your window is closing year by year? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a perfect opportunity to take advantage of San Francisco's mishap, miss, you know, their situation with their injuries and what have you. And you still want to get in capitalized, man. And then this year, it's going to be another one where, I mean, you could have got this guy the next day. You could have could took care of other needs. I mean, they obviously do need a cornerback. Even in the thing about it, they even resigned the dude, dude back, the um, King. They, yeah. So obviously, yep. but they were still in love with him. I mean, to a point where they, hey, we'll still sign you. But, you know, so I, I mean, would just, it's crazy. I would just like to point out that because they signed him to that deal, it 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 helped pave the way to them not having enough money to want to bring back Corey Lindsley, who in the second round they actually took a center because they let him go. So right. funny how it reconnects. Right. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> James, do you wanna uh, not even it's not even a straight bullet. I'm just taking an RPG to the Packers at this point. So <laughs> so, so so James, do you wanna do you wanna throw anything else or is there another team that should get some flack here? I mean, just to add on to what you guys said, it doesn't make sense because even if, let's say, Aaron Rodgers leaves, Devontae Adams isn't staying. He's probably going to demand a trade once Aaron Rodgers leaves because no one wants to be up in Green Bay. You're only there because Aaron Rodgers. So (laughs) once you lose those two guys, why are you drafting another weapon for the supposed next guy up, which would be Jordan Love, you know? Uh, Jordan Love is going to have nothing by the time if, not if, when Aaron Rodgers leaves and I'm assuming when Devontae Adams leaves. So, you know, you might as well start planning for the future. And if you weren't going to take any offensive weapons and you, like you just said, coach, this guy could have gone in day two. You might as well trade down then and then hope you get two picks for a second round. And maybe you take the Stokes guy and maybe you can still grab Terrence Marshall because he didn't go until what? The uh, end of the second round or late yeah. third round, something like that. And it doesn't make any sense. But just one team I also want to give a little flack to is, as great as their day one pick was, I uh-huh. think the Indianapolis Colts need just a little flack. The round two, they went another edge, uh, an edge from Vanderbilt. And then after that, they went tight end. And they, the draft, it was, I understand they had mainly late rounds. They had a fifth, a sixth, and two sevens. But I personally would have, me as a GM, I would have done something to help Carson Wentz out a little bit because we did just trade so much to get this guy. And he is basically what we're banking our whole Super Bowl run on. So why not do as much as you can to help him out? And he's gotten sacked a lot, as we know. And Carson Wentz is injury prone. So why not do what you can to help him out and make him the best he can be and regain that confidence that we saw when he had that MVP-like season back in 2017? Right, right. Especially, and I'll say this, like, I think they have a good enough offensive line to where they probably could afford waiting a bit. But a guy that we were all high on, Jalen Mayfield, was available in the second round, and there quite yes. a few teams passed on him. And I think that was a mistake. I think Jalen Mayfield is going to be pretty good. And then the Sam Elliger pick was a little interesting because you also you got him, and then you got Eason. I mean, I guess you're not sold on Eason. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't know. Which is it's weird. Just if, a, you ask, if you ask Colts fans, like the Colts fans think Eason could be the guy. Like if Wentz doesn't work out, like the Colts right. fans legitimately believe that Eason has like that potential. Unless, you know, they could be taking COVID protocol because now it's not actually that weird to be having three quarterbacks in your quarterback That's room. There's two of them. Oh, but still, you know, I'll, I'm with you on that, Coach. That Sam Ellinger, I didn't even like the guy, to be honest. No no disrespect to him. I just – I don't see it. But yeah. he'll be a great clipboard holder in the league. Yeah, regardless, absolutely. you know. <laughs> 
Hey, I mean, maybe with that logic, I think you're right. Maybe with that logic, the Packers should have just drafted a quarterback in the first round, considering what they did. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that team. Oh, yeah. I think he would have left this. I think he would. I think he would have like physically whatever house he has in Green Bay. He would have just brought in like some construction yeah. equipment and probably just like TNT it all, all the way back. Like, yeah, that. Like, <laughs> be moving trucks everywhere. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. so. That brings an end to our NFL draft talk with Coach. Coach, thank you for joining us on that. But we're not done on the show yet. Our final segment here today, and Coach, because you are here, Washington football team guy, we have a Washington-themed segment this week for our How to Be a Fanatic segment, where every single week, me and James will give you one team in the NHL and the MLB uh, that you should consider becoming a fan of. Because, you know, for people that want to become baseball fans or want to get back into it, and same thing with hockey, we're your guys. We got your back when it comes to that breakdown. And, you know, I, I helped coach have a team going into this upcoming uh, yes. this past season, the Vegas Golden Knights. They're so good. I got a couple things. Oh, yeah. They're good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So let, let's let's go to some teams here. James, I'm going to throw uh, start it off really fast. The Washington Capitals. I think it's relatively simple when it comes to some reasons why you should be a fan of this team. First off, they're consistently great. They've made the playoffs every single season except for one since the 2007-2008 season. And, Coach, I think, like, your experience can tell with D- oh, with Washington team fans, like, you want some success there. And the Capitals yeah. have been a hallmark of that for over a decade, which brings me to my next point. They haven't just been a good team. They're not a borderline playoff team. Maybe they'll get a first-round win and out. No, this has been a team with legitimate expectations throughout the last decade. In the last decade plus, they won the President's Trophy in the NHL three times, which means they were the best uh, team in the regular season via points, right? Eight times they've had 100 points or more in a season since uh, in the last 15 years. And, of course, to top it all off, the piece de resistance, the 2018 Stanley Cup was raised by the Washington Capitals, by Alexander Ovechkin, and hilarity and fun ensued that offseason for them. Uh, there are great players on this team. That's number three. There's Nicholas Backstrom and Evgeny Kuznetsov, who are absolutely great. Uh, John Carlson is a phenomenal defenseman. And I really, I think Ilya Samsonov has a good chance to be a pretty good goalie. It's something about the Capitals and Russian goalies. It just works for them. It was Varlamov <laughs> and then Holtby and now Samsonov. I, I think that, I, I mean, we talk about Bill Belichick having the type. I think the Capitals have a type in net. So they have a good goalie in Samsonov. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, this guy, the great eight. Alex Ovechkin, the greatest goal scorer of his generation, probably the greatest of all time, currently sits sixth on the all-time goal list, and probably by today being over, he may uh, he may pass uh, Marcel Dion for fifth. So an absolute stud. You got to witness a Hall of Famer in Washington, D.C. for his entire career, and they want to re-sign him uh, to make sure he finishes his career in a Capitals jersey, uh, and that's what I really like. Number four. They're always willing to make moves to try to win. I think the last three or four off seasons, the Capitals have always, uh, excuse me, last three or four trade deadlines, they've always made a move in some way, shape, or form. I think back two years ago when they got Lars Zeller, you talk about their Stanley Cup run that they made. He had 18 points for them in that playoff run. That was a trade pickup that they made. An absolutely phenomenal one, mind you. And other guys along the way that are on the team this season, such as Shiri, Dylan, Mantha, from when we recapped the deadline a few weeks ago, he's a very good player. Uh, so they did that. And then ultimately, number five, they got some pretty cool jerseys. Like, I'm not going to say this for every team, but the Capitals got some good jerseys. That They're reverse retros. The NHL did reverse retros this season. Capitals, I give a solid, like, AA minus grade for their reverse retros. Their reverse retros were good. And they also have some pretty good ones. When they have the eagle on their jersey sometimes, when they bust those out, cool. It's good. So that's why you should be a Capitals fan right there. And my five reasons why you should be a 
a Nationals fan. I, I'm only doing this for you, Coach. The only person I do this for. If we ever get a Philly guest here, it's gonna take a lot from me. But here we go. So my number one reason is they are your 2019 World Series champions. They are the most recent champions to have a normal season, not taking anything away from the Los Angeles Dodgers, but it was the COVID season. They're the last team to win 162 regular game season. And a lot of people in the league actually enjoyed this. They were the team to beat the uh, infamous cheaters in the Houston Astros. And actually, I've read a fun nugget today. Uh, catcher Kurt Suzuki said the Astros were definitely cheating during that World Series. So shout out to them for being the cheaters at their own game. I mean, they didn't cheat, but, you know, they beat the cheaters. And there's nothing you like seeing more than people who just play dirty and them losing still. Number two is the one, the only. I can't even – this guy is the only reason I would watch a Nationals game because he's almost just as dominant. He's might be arguably more dominant career-wise than Jacob DeGrom. That is Mr. Max Scherzer. He is just, he's having another dominant career. He is simply a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's just like almost Alex Ovechkin. This is a guy you've been getting to watch for the last 10 years in Washington just straight dominating. He has two different colored eyes looking like a freaking monster. It's scary. And fun fact, he actually – rushed to the hospital after last night's game for the birth of his third child. He actually had a whole shutout. It was a complete game. Twelve. It was the 12th complete game of his Hall of Fame career. It was nine strikeouts. And uh, they actually had their fourth child last night as well in the Miami Marlins with the way he treated them. And number three, <laughs> my number three reason to be a Washington Nationals fan is you got Mike Rizzo. He is arguably one of the, if not the best GM in the league. He is your president of baseball operations. And, you know, when you have a front office that knows what they're doing, there's nothing better than being a fan of a smart organization because, God forbid, you have someone who's just tearing your team apart all the time. Unfortunately, Washington has one of the oldest teams in the league currently, but I have no doubt that Mike Rizzo is going to figure this out because my number four reason is he has still a lot of young talent. He has a... MVP caliber player in Juan Soto. He has a arguably the best shortstop in Trey Turner. He just traded for Josh Bell, who could just knock a house off the freaking yard. Like, it's just this guy. Let me tell you, if it's something about those first basemen when they hit the ball is just scary. And this guy, he is just a scary guy when he makes that connection. And my last reason is. It's in the DMV area. The DC area is cool. I know uh, Coach could attest to that. The stadium is 10 minutes away from the White House. What is cooler than that? And I've been there at Washington, and it's actually pretty cool because the fan base is really tight. I don't know if it's because I went back in 2019. You guys just won the World Series, but everyone there was rocking the Washington Nationals hat. And you love seeing that from your home team because sometimes people don't even care about the home team sports. So to know that the hometown actually cares about the home team and you could argue that this – is un- unfortunately you could argue that this is America's team, unlike the Dallas Cowboys, because they are actually at our country's that na- uh, capital, and that is my five reasons for why I should be a Washington Nationals fanatic. <laughs> coach is loving it. You got you gotta love it, Coach. All the Washington love and shout yeah. out to your Washington football yes. team because they they're building some good uh, you know things up there in D.C. Like they. They, uh, the the football team and whatever they change their name to again, I'm hoping for the Red Wolves. Just imagine the den being the fan <laughs> yeah. area for them. But ultimately, like Washington sports, like it's looking up, coach, and you got to love it. Yeah.
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's looking up for everybody except Wizards, you know. Well, hey, are they potentially the they're, they're close? Yeah, they're in oh, the they got back into the play? I oh, man. I think so. They're close. Yeah. If, they're, if they're, they're not close. there, they're only like a half game back. I know, I know Westbrook's yeah. been going off with these triple doubles. He's he's trying everything he can to get them in there. Yeah, yeah. If only keep putting a ring. Uh, but anyways, that just about <laughs> wraps up this week's episode of Bunsen Bruises, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. And of course, like we can't say it enough. Thank you to Couch Coach for joining us, being the first guest in show history. Couch, oh, man. We, we've both done shows with you. We both love everyone at the network loves it when you come <laughs> on. Senior NFL analyst for Off the Ball Network. No person deserves it more than you with the experience you have, the 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 intelligence you have. You made us smarter uh, as the show went on and everything you do. So thank you so much. Yeah. So let the people know where they could find you uh, everywhere. Yes, indeed. Definitely appreciate you, fellas, for um, having me on as your first guest. I'm definitely honored for the opportunity. Um, follow me on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, under Couch Coach Lab, also TikTok as well. Um, check out the podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. Um, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, we're on there as well. So definitely appreciate you guys for having me on tonight. Absolutely. James, like we we, we both said this before, like we, we want a couch coach on, and of course, of course he delivered. Like everyone off the ball that oh, Come on. Uh, man, come on. Who's who's name me one person better than coach? I don't know, man. Thank oh, no. once again, coach. Thank you for ha- yeah. coming on to our show. Everybody who's watching this, please like, subscribe, review, five stars, everything on Coach, especially our bunts and bruises as well. Yeah. And Coach, you, how could you not show him the swag? Buy a sweater, support oh, guys, because yeah. oh, yeah. Coach got some of the best swag we out there. He sells <laughs> mugs, he sells hats, he sells sweaters. Yeah. It's some of the best out there. But one more time, Coach, thank you for having us. Thank you for letting us on your show, and stay golden, Pony Boy. That's quite the reference. You know what? Honestly, we're gonna end it there. Add bar stocks for James, add jerk 40 for me, off the ball network.com for everything, but we're ending it off there. Stay golden pony boy. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us. See you. Yes.